We're going to continue our sermon series uh, revolving around the questions that Jesus asked between his anointing uh, at Lazarus' house by Mary on through the cross. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, please join me in Matthew chapter 26. We will be reading verses 50 through 53. Last week we took a look at the question where Jesus asked Judas, friend, why have you come? And we talked about that in the gospel response, and that is where we'll be picking up the text tonight. So beginning in the second half of verse 50 in Matthew chapter 26, then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up a sword will perish by a sword. And here's the question we're going to look at tonight. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? Let me start off by saying that from the disciples' perspective, what we should be celebrating on Easter Sunday morning is the ascent of Jesus Christ to the throne of Israel after the sincere rout and devastation of the Roman army. That should be the celebration that we celebrate as people of faith, that Jesus became the actual king of Israel, that he implemented perfect earthly justice through a show of force, which was rightfully his, and brought Israel back into the Abrahamic covenant, which said, this is your land forever. You are my people. You live here. My name will be in Jerusalem, in the temple, and this land belongs to all y'all. It is a covenant that God established with Abraham. As many stars as there are in the sky, that will be your descendants, and the land that you are on is your land. That was a promise. And so on Easter, we should be celebrating the rising of Jesus Christ to the throne of Israel, And he has the crown placed on his head, and he is surrounded by his victorious cheering armies, and heaven comes down and has an actual heavenly kingdom on earth in the city of David. I mean, this is what the scriptures say is going to happen at some point in history. And so there is every reason for the disciples to believe that this is what should be happening. What better time than Passover when the nation of Israel is celebrating their delivery of slavery from the Egyptians, another nation that oppressed them for hundreds of years, from which they were radically delivered. And so, basically, we know from other gospel accounts of this event here, that Peter says, let's get this party started. Here we go. Outnumbered, outgunned, and in the dark. We have the authority of scripture on our side. Let's put Jesus on the throne. Here we go. And then Jesus asks his question. Put your sword back in its place because all who take up a sword will perish by a sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? Well, we don't celebrate the uh, advent of Jesus to the throne of Israel on Easter. That is not what we celebrate at all. And what Jesus is is saying here, just a little historical background, 
Don't you think that my father could at once provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? A fully stocked Roman legion of the day was about 6,000 warriors. And so if you do the math, basically Jesus is saying, I could summon with my father's permission and approval 72,000 angelic warriors right now. That's what he's saying. Roman legion has about 6,000 men in it, fully staffed. Jesus is saying, I have access to 12 of them. So I could call down 72,000 angelic warriors right now. And it could be a mop-up operation. Good Friday would be Good Friday because we kicked the Romans to the curb. Saturday would be the mop-up operation. And my crowning would be Sunday morning, praise the Lord, it's Easter. Right? At the conclusion of the Passover festival. This is what Jesus is actually saying. To continue the biblical math, well, how effective is an angelic warrior? We know from an account in 2 Kings that is also repeated in the book of Isaiah that in one night, one angelic warrior destroyed 185,000 Babylonians who were camped out and threatening Israel during the reign of Hezekiah. Do the math. So if we have 72,000 angelic warriors, each of them capable at least of odds of 1 to 185,000, Jesus is saying, do you not know that I can summon a force with the combat strength to defeat 13,320,000 trained warriors right now? 13,320,000. What Jesus is saying is that I could call down overwhelming force right now. That kind of a force, 72,000 angelic warriors who could, or each capable of all we know, potentially 185,000 to one odds, could defeat any of the world's standing armies right now. Possibly all of the world's standing armies simultaneously. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to call down overwhelming force right now. I could be on the throne of Israel by Sunday morning. It's Easter. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what we could be celebrating uh, in a few weeks. The other thought about this question is please understand that this was authority that Jesus had during his entire ministry on earth. At any time, he could have called down overwhelming authority and pretty much done whatever he wanted to do. Today, there's no standing army that could have prevented that kind of force that Jesus is saying he had authority to. So either he's crazy, you know, he's just making stuff up, it's a big bluff, or he's lying, he didn't actually have that authority, or he's telling the truth. And we have to assume that he's telling the truth because the man came back from the dead. And, and not at that time, they didn't know that, but we know that now. And so we have to assume that it wasn't a bluff and that he's not crazy, that he actually could summon at his command overwhelming military might that could easily handle troops of over 13 million assembled for war. And that that kind of overwhelming force was available to him at any time in his ministry. And at no time in his ministry did he implement it or ask his father for that force. And so what did Jesus do instead? Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angelic warriors? And so this is what Jesus, and Jesus says this according to the context, then they came up, took hold of Jesus and arrested him. So he's arrested at this point, okay? He's in the dark. He is alone. 
you know, we know that he was alone during his time of prayer. His disciples were asleep. They were present with him, but as far as standing with him goes, uh, he was basically alone. One was swinging a sword around. The others were in the process of fleeing. He is actually arrested and detained. He's probably, you know, physically detained. His arms are probably pinned behind his back, or at least he's being escorted physically by the, the mob that came for him at this time. And what does Jesus do? He, he makes this question, and he assumes his actual fighting stance. Because here's what Jesus is modeling for his disciples, and here's what Jesus is modeling for his church, and here's what Jesus is modeling for us. This idea that the overwhelming force of one person making a decision of faith is actually the world's greatest force. That the power of one man standing alone in the dark, restrained, has the power through faith to make a decision that is more powerful than 72,000 angelic warriors defeating any of the world's standing armies. I think that's what Jesus is modeling. He is modeling his actual fighting position. It's not that Jesus is afraid of a fight, it's not that Jesus can't fight. It's not that Jesus is afraid to deploy uh, this kind of force. I think the Bible is pretty clear that the day is coming where there will be a deploying of that force and Jesus will be placed on the throne of the world and he, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is not a man who is not afraid to use his authority uh, in a military fashion. It's just that for now, this is not what he's modeling. What he's actually modeling is that one person standing alone in the dark can assume a fighting position of faith that is stronger than the force that could defeat any of the world's standing armies. And so the message for us as a church is that, well, there's a couple of things. The first idea, I think, is that we fight by faith. This is what Jesus modeled for us, that while there is a time coming where we may actually have to fight under his leadership at some point in the earth's history, but that day has not come that we take a position of faith like our Savior did. The other thought that I think we can get from this text is that what Jesus portrayed for us in Gethsemane on that night in which he was betrayed and arrested is that he has a model for us that we can follow. If he had called down an overwhelming force of 72,000 angelic warriors, you and I would not be able to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> we... We don't have access to that kind of overwhelming force. We, we know that we are in situations at work and in our family and at school and in other places where when we try to work our will, some of us will use humor as overwhelming force. Some of us will use anger as overwhelming force. Some of us will use emotions as overwhelming force. Some of us will use obstinance or stubbornness as overwhelming force. And so we've all had opportunity to try to deploy overwhelming force because uh, in our sin nature, that's what we default to when we want to see our way done. But what Jesus models is one man standing alone in the dark, assuming a position of faith and modeling something that we can follow. We do not have the command of 72,000 angelic warriors. We, even in our anger and our obstinance and our emotions and in our default mechanisms to try and make people do what we want them to do or even make ourselves do what we want to do, do not have the authority to implement true change. But what we can do is make a decision of faith. 
and our Savior modeled that. The overwhelming force of one person alone in the dark making a decision of faith. So by way of conclusion this afternoon, I kind of want to encourage us that for for River Church, for sure, right now, and definitely for me personally, for a number of reasons, this week was probably one of the most challenging weeks I've ever had in ministry for any number of different reasons. There have been some challenging weeks. I've been pastoring actively for over 15 years now and in the ministry for over 20 years. And so we get it that there's ups and downs and good weeks and bad weeks. This week has been a a very difficult week. And for River Church, uh, and I'm seeing the Lord move through it, which is very encouraging. And for River Church, this has been a challenging week. Uh, We're this church that I'm on the phone with the superintendent of the Grizzle Public School System while I'm standing in a classroom full of freshmen at Ellis Tech hearing that we're not going to have a place to meet for the foreseeable future. Keep it down right now, for real. I'm on the phone with someone very, very important. That's my actual, that was Wednesday. That was my actual life. And the kids are so surprised that they're like, oh, okay. And they kept quiet. Uh Uh-huh. And, but this is, if we're, we've been saying all year that if there was a year or if there was a time where we were going to be challenged and we would be tempted to deploy our tools of overwhelming force, that it would probably be this year. The fact that we are trying to build something new in the heart of Jewett City is not going to be ignored by the kingdom of darkness, and it is going to be tested. And if you're wondering what the battle looks like, it looks like this. It looks like those phone calls. It looks like trying to scramble the troops and to communicate and make difficult decisions and hope for the best. And are we hurting people by getting people together at all? This is what the battle looks like. This is in the dark alone. Not quite sure which direction to go, but let's make a decision of faith and let's let's keep our heads down in prayer and let's keep each other close. Because here's the enemy that was defeated that night. It wasn't the Roman army. It was death and hell. It wasn't Pontius Pilate. It was the prince of demons. One man standing alone in the dark, a decision of faith. Didn't conquer the Roman army secured our place in heaven. Nothing is more powerful than a decision of faith. And and if River Church is wondering, what does it look like to be tried? What does it look like to be tested? What does it look like uh, when the Lord is doing something in his people and preparing us for this time next year when we have our own building? This is what it looks like. It looks like a percentage of us gathered in a place doing the best we can that others have provided for us out of their kindness and mutual love of the Lord. And and we're going to keep our heads down in prayer and we're going to keep close and communicate the best we can and continue to make decisions of faith. But now is not the time for, for Pastor Josh to rant and rave and moan and groan and, and cry uh, and eat all the double stuff Oreos or frosted Pop-Tarts. I could go on. And that's why tonight is so encouraging to me, and I hope it is to you as well, that our Savior didn't modeled overwhelming force through a decision of faith. And that is the same power that is available to us. We don't have angel armies at our command, and we've tried to control life situations through the other tools at our command, and nothing is more powerful in the middle of the battle when it's dark out and you feel alone than a decision of faith.
month. And I guess the good news for River Church is while our numbers are down tonight, that we are not alone. That when we reached out to another ministry, they said, come on, for as long as you'd like to, when you would like to, on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, for no money, for free. Just just come and share what the Lord has provided. How could we not during this time? And so I think uh, it has been a difficult week for River Church in many ways, but I, I'm also very grateful for this time with you guys and the decision of faith that we all made to be here tonight and our commitment to keep our heads down in prayer and to keep each other close. So I'm going to ask our guys to come on up and lead us out in worship. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to make a decision of faith. It's funny, we don't ask for these opportunities. In fact, most of our prayers are centered around uh, prayers of protection and peace and provision so that we don't have to make decisions of faith. And yet, Lord, nothing excites you more and nothing demonstrates more of your power on this planet than when people make a decision of faith. And so, Father, we have a lot in front of us this year. There are a lot of moving pieces. This is a a great year for us to fall apart in any number of different ways, personally and uh, even as a church to a certain degree. But, Father, we are grateful for your provision even this week. We ask for your wisdom moving forward. We pray that you would spare our country uh, from this flu virus, that you would especially protect the aged and the infirm and the very young who are most vulnerable. We pray for our leaders who are also facing something that we haven't faced in over a generation or two. We pray for those of us whose employment has been affected by this flu virus. We pray for our children who are not going to be in school as normal for at least a week, maybe longer. Father, we pray for the financial burden that families are going to face, as well as the the economic burden that businesses are going to face. Father, we pray that through this now officially a pandemic, that we would see your sovereign purpose for the gospel. Father, we pray that families who have not been thinking about matters of faith at all would begin turning to you with questions, turning to you with fears, turning to you with doubts, and saying to themselves, we need to get our family in church. We need to find a place that can reconnect us with our faith because we're scared we're running out of money, we don't understand what's going on, and we feel that we need to make a decision of faith. Father, we pray that through these circumstances that are well beyond our control, that people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would find the peace and the salvation and the forgiveness of sins that only come through decisions of faith, that they would find fellowships who maybe were able to meet formally, maybe were not, but that your gospel would have a fertile ground in this atmosphere right now, which is just soaked with fear. We pray, Father, that that would be replaced by faith, the kind of faith that was modeled by your son in the dark, alone. When he had other options that he could have deployed, he chose a decision of faith. Father, may we walk in that same model. We ask these things in Jesus' name.